Jude chapter 1. <laughs> Some of y'all wondering why that's funny. <laughs> Verse 22, and of some have compassion, yes, making a difference. And I always like verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling down to the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I've had that verse worked out for decades. But that 22nd verse, man, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why it's so difficult, and maybe the rapture happened before Thursday night. Jude has just spent verse after verse after verse after verse ripping the faces off the people who come in our churches and do them harm. And then he says, if you'd have compassion toward them, you might make a difference in their lives. And I'm just not anywhere close to even wanting to do that, much less being able to. And so before we talk about verse 22 in Jude, we're going to talk tonight about God's compassion. I'm going to tell you something. You would not be sitting here tonight having enjoyed a good meal and good singing and good Christian fellowship and clean clothes with a car to drive and a house to live in. You'd be in hell tonight crying out for one drop of water if it wasn't for God's compassion. It's a big word, but it's a great word. And I, I apologize to the Lord for never having spent more time with it. Heavenly Father, help me tonight to be a help to your people. Help me tonight, Father, to honor you and honor your son by telling the truth from your word. And, and we just ask your blessing upon this time we spend together now. In Jesus' name, and amen. amen. Exodus chapter number 2. Exodus 2, the word compassion tells us so very much about the heart of our wonderful God. But the word is a compound passion. Compound passion, compassion. It's a mixture of love and sorrow. Of love and sorrow. It's, it's a strong emotion resulting from the suffering of another. It's an amazing thing. It's the heart's sympathy and even pain over the distress and misfortunes of another. Yes, now, Brother Joe, I, I don't I disagree with most of anything he, he said this, this evening, except I, I've never have figured out what a bill is. <laughs> I know what a buffalo is, but I, I don't know what a, what a bill is. But anyway, um, cheer for him if you want. But when I look at the world, it's a, it's a disaster. When I look at our government, it's a disaster. When I look at our churches, they're a disaster. And I can hate those garments spotted by the flesh. I can do that. And I can, I can even desire to pull them out of the fire because it reminds me that the fire is what they deserve. But what to God my heart was moved with the pain they're inflicting upon themselves and the pain that they are going to experience for all of eternity because of their, their blind, crazy misdeeds. I can see what's wrong and I can cry out against what's wrong and God helping me, brother, I'll stand with you and we'll stand against what's wrong. 
But I want to hurt because they're hurting. And I want to feel sorry for what they're doing to themselves, not have some sort of a King James-only independent Baptist glee because they deserve it. Because the fact of the matter is, I deserve it. And when I compare myself to the leaders of our nation and the wickedness that they're, they're performing, I measure up. I, I mean, I, they come short of my glory. But then when I look to God, I come so far short of His glory that there's not a great deal of difference between me and, and those people. But, but listen to this. Compassion as you read through in the Bible, when the extreme distress of an enemy causes one to change the enmity into at least temporary affection. Look at the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. In Exodus chapter number 2, the Hebrews are low-down slaves. Slaves whose backs are whipped and no one back, bats an eye. Slaves who are afflicted with cruel bondage and no one cares. The Egyptians have no sympathy for the Hebrews and the Hebrews have no love for the Egyptians. And now a decree has gone out that the male babies of the Hebrews be put to death, be slaughtered, lest they, they overrun the Egyptians, they outpopulate the Egyptians. One, one day we're going to have a problem if we get too many Hebrews, so kill all the male babies. Moses' mother builds that little ark and puts her baby in that basket and sets it in the river and sets it afloat. It drifts down the river and it, it falls into the weeds. And the Bible says in Exodus 2.5, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. The first person in the Bible who ever had compassion was the daughter of a heathen idol worshiper whose father sanctioned the government murder of babies. And that woman in all of her Egyptian superiority, living in all of her Egyptian wealth and finery, saw a slave baby in a basket. And in that moment, all of her national pride, all of her social status, all of her wealth disappeared because she felt sorry for that little baby. And she knew, she said it out loud, it's a, it's a Hebrew baby. But look at it. It's going to die. I can't let this baby die. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy to be clean and look at that drug addict. To be sober and look at that drunk. To have sound doctrine and look at that apostate. Have a sound mind and look at those, those people doing what they do. 
But then just in this moment, something rose up in her heart that overcame all of that. And she just didn't want that little baby to die. And I, I say from the first time I come across the word compassion in the Bible, God, there's, there's got to be a place for that in my heart. And it's not sitting there as often as it should. It's certainly not residing there like it should. I'm convicted. I'm challenged. Deuteronomy chapter 30. God gives this law to the nation of Israel. While he's writing it, they're breaking it. While he's on the mountain putting ten commandments in the table of stone, all ten of them are being violated at the foot of the mountain. And when the people are breaking all the ten commandments, hear them read, they said, oh, we'll do that. What We're all in. God, whatever you want, we'll do it. And I don't know one time they ever did. Deuteronomy 30 verse 1 says, And it shall come to pass, when all these things have come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. What happened to the promised land? What happened to Jerusalem? What happened to the temple? What happened to the priesthood, the altar, the covenants, the peculiar blessings? The Lord says, I, look, I know where this is going. You're going to sin against me and sin against me and sin against me and sin against me. I'm going to take everything away from you and you're going to sin against me and sin against me. And finally, I'm going to drive you out of this land that I gave you. I'm going to send you into captivity among the heathen. Verse 2, And shalt return unto the Lord thy God and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. You know what you have in those three verses? You not only have the entire history of the Old Testament, you not only have the Israel set aside during the church age, you have the wrath of God upon that people, the Antichrist unleashed upon that people for seven years, 21 tribulation judgments, because they have so provoked God to anger that he sends upon them the time of Jacob's trouble, a time of tribulation such as has never been before and never will be again because they have so provoked the Lord to anger. God says, if after all that, if you'll turn this much toward me, I will put away my anger. I will put away my wrath. I will set aside the enmity, and I will put my arms around you and bring you back into your land and rule over you in peace for a thousand years. Thank God for his compassion. Jude speaks about the enmity. That's compassion requires enmity. It requires a, an opposing side. It requires someone who deserves what they're getting. But you don't want them to get it. And you'll do anything in your power to keep them from the destruction they so deserve. What a God we have. Yes, sir. 
First Kings chapter eight. First Kings chapter eight. Children of Israel would so sin against God that often He would send them into captivity or bring another nation in to to take them captive. You know that the whole history of of Judges and much of Chronicles taken up with those matters. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8. The dedication of the temple, Solomon is praying. Verse 46. If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them to the enemy, so that they carry them away captives unto the land of the enemy, far or near. Yet if they should bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captives, and repent, and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, We have sinned, and have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee, and give them compassion before them who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them for they they be thy people in their inheritance you know what's going to happen Babylon's going to come in put out the eyes of their king after murdering his son before their eyes put the king in shackles, carry the people away into captivity, and 70 years, 70 years, they're going to serve a strange king in a strange land and grow up surrounded by all these idols and, and all the rest of that. And they deserve it. They've earned it. And God has judged them just as He said He would. At the end of those 70 years, a little remnant of those people turning their hearts to God. And God says, not only, not only will I bring you back into your land. But he goes into the, into the office of the king, Cyrus, and taps him on the shoulder and says, you're going to pay for this. Call your treasurer in and give them a blank check to rebuild their temple and rebuild their walls and rebuild their city. And Cyrus says, I don't know who this God is, but I just suddenly feel like letting his people go. And I, I, I don't know much about this God or his people, but I think I'll pay their way. You know what the Lord said? Not only will I have compassion upon them, I will cause the people who carried them away into captivity to have compassion upon them. That's an amazing thing. Now, I got to tell you, I, I, I visit your church once in a while. I listen to your pastor preach often. I don't know you. I don't know your approach to things. But I know I've spent the last four decades of my life in independent Baptist churches. This is not our style. 
This is not our approach. Uh, we were talking to the supper table tonight. In the good old days, when you met a charismatic, you argued about tongues and eternal security. In the good old days, you met somebody from the Church of God, you argued about miracles and sign gifts. In the good old days, you met a, a, a free will Baptist, you argued about losing salvation. I haven't had a good argument about Bible doctrine with anybody from any church in decades. People don't care what the Bible says anymore. I don't think some of these churches are growing because people love false doctrine. I think they're growing because a world that's, that's wrecked and ruined their lives and their families and their minds and their health and their homes. Find some people that throw their arms around them and say, we love you. God loves you and so do we. And we preach God loves you, but we're not going to. I'm not saved because I got my doctrine right. I'm not saved because I straightened up my life. I'm saved because God had compassion toward me. Look in your Bible here in um, 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36. This is the end of the matter. The, the history of the Old Testament ends with 2 Chronicles 36. Our Bible is, is not set up chronologically. Verse 14, more of all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. Isn't that a terrible thing? And polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. Isn't that a terrible thing? And Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people. I, I, I'm stopping there because it, I'm not taking anything out of context. I want to keep to our topic tonight. Look again at verse 14. All the chief of the priests and the people. So that'd be all the chief of the priests, all the people transgressed very much. Is that, you, you see that? Not only that, they transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. All of them. There wasn't anything the heathen were doing that the priests weren't doing and the people weren't doing. And polluted, not their own house, not the courthouse, not the White House, and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed at Jerusalem. What God do? Sent him his messengers. To do what? Turn them back to him. Spare them. Save them. He didn't want to destroy them. He didn't want to tear the temple down. He didn't want to see the city burn. Why? Because he had compassion on his people. Listen, these two messages go together. I, I am not, there's nothing I'm saying tonight that contradicts anything Brother Joe said. Not, none whatsoever. We've got to stand against sin. God did. God's prophets did. God's people did. We're not saying that. But why did he send them a preacher at all? Why did he give them a chance to repent at all? Why did he call them back to the right way at all? Because he didn't want to destroy them. They're at enmity against God, which requires God to be at enmity against them. But his love for them and his sorrow over what they were doing to themselves was so great. 
So let me try one more prophet. Let, let, let me send one more preacher down there. And finally, Second Chronicles comes to a close, and there they are, carried away into captivity. And for 400 years, God doesn't say a word to them. And for 400 years, they survive. And God says, John, John, let's try, let's try this one more time. John, go tell them. Go tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why would the kingdom of heaven be at hand? Why would God even look their way? Why would Messiah come? And... It's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, we tried door knocking. They slammed the doors in our face. We tried giving out tracts. They tore up the tracts. We tried street preaching. They just laughed at us. Send them another prophet. Send them another witness. Fill up another van and go out there. Set aside another afternoon. God is the one who's going to punish people in hell. He doesn't want to. He's not willing that any should perish. Lamentations 3.32 says, But through the, though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Psalm 78.38, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. Some of you didn't get saved to you 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old. Do you know how much hell you deserved? How many times you just tempted the Lord to destroy you? I know I did. Well, they sang that song about forgetting. Aren't your nights haunted by things that you've done, you wish to? I prayed so many times, God, please let me forget that. And he can't. He has, he has no recollection of it. It's just me. Boy, it's there. It's there. But oh, did God have plenty of reason to destroy me. Psalm 86, 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalm 111, 4, He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. I can fill up with anger pretty quick. I can fill up with hating the garment spotted by the flesh pretty quick. I can fill up with, when I get real spiritual, okay, I'll pull you out of the fire. But full of compassion? Full of compassion. Two preachers, I guess, had the greatest influence on my life of any men that ever lived, and they couldn't be any more different. I could, I'd go right now to my room and, and turn that internet on, and I could sit till tomorrow morning and listen to Oliver Green preach and just, just preach the daylights out of sin and preach hell so hot you can feel it. I love to hear that man preach. But the other man was nothing like him. Weeping, loving, open arms, build another home, Lester Roloff. Yes, Oliver Green who put every one of those kids in hell, and they deserved it. And they'd give them the gospel, tell them how to be saved. Lester Roloff would build them a house and feed them a meal. 
Teach them how to dress. Teach them how to live. You think he was a sissy? I don't. You think he was a compromiser? I don't. That man, some of you don't remember, he's been gone 40 years. Next, you're hard to believe. Been gone 40 years. Everything Joe Camilleri preached tonight, Lester Roloff lived like nobody in my lifetime lived it. But what a heart of compassion. You don't have to be a sissy to love people. You don't have to be soft. You don't have to be soft to give people a second chance and a third chance and a fifth chance and a tenth chance. God's given you a hundred chances. It's compassionate. Compassionate. Look at Saul, uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. There's a big clock back there. I think that's because of the first time I was here. I know you remember that, don't you, brother? I, I, instead of losing, I thought we'd gained an hour. I was teaching a Bible class, and I think half the school dropped out after that night because I, I went an extra hour. I thought it. Two of them got carpal tunnel taking notes. And, I got it all backwards in my mind, so now it's right there. Matthew 9, verse 36. Speaking of Jesus, but when he saw the multitudes marching in the street, hanging out at the beach, packing the stadium, going to the mall, driving down the highway Sunday morning, not going to church, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, now wait a minute. Wait, whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Psalm 100. I, I doubt there's a Hebrew who didn't know that psalm. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He hath made us and not we ourselves. So people who had a shepherd said, we don't want a shepherd. People who were sheep said, we don't want to be sheep. People who, who were given a green pasture said, we don't want to dwell in a green pasture. People who could be led by the still waters said, we'd rather the turbulent seas. Jesus saw the multitudes as sheep that had no shepherd. He's the shepherd. If they don't have a shepherd, it's because they didn't want him. You know what he said? They're thirsty. Get them something to drink. They're hungry. Get them something to eat. Look at them wandering around like they don't know where to go. Gather them together. Let me minister to them. They were in the condition they were in because of their own unbelief and rebellion and disobedience and rejection of the Lord. And the Lord looked at them and was moved with compassion. I'm finding out why I hadn't preached this before. I'm guilty of everything I'm talking about. Oh, you don't want Christ? Look what you're doing to yourself. Look how you're messing up your family. Look how you're ruining your life. What's the matter with you? Plenty. Plenty. But Jesus, Jesus, saw that, and he was moved. What moved? Moved compassion. 
His compassion moved him more than their rejection of him. I've got, I got a long way to go. I got a, not, not in the sermon. In the, in my, <laughs> it made to scare you there. In my life. Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. Now, if you grew up a charismatic or watching a TV preacher, you know that God promised to take away all diseases, just not for Christians in America. For Hebrews in the nation of Israel. God said, if you'll obey my law, none of these diseases come upon you. If you'll walk according to my statutes, none of these afflictions will befall you. That means every sick person in Israel, every crippled person in Israel, every blind person in Israel, every leper in Israel was a testimony to their refusal to walk in the ways of God. That's not true in America. It's not true in the New Testament church. But in Israel, sickness was a, was a display. It's like wearing a sign. I'm in rebellion against God. John 9, they, they didn't come to Jesus and say, uh, what went wrong with the uh, genetic composition of this man that he was born blind? They said, is this his sin or his mother's sin? Now, preachers mess that all up because they think healing and all this stuff for the church. But you're in Israel, somebody sinned. Or that boy wouldn't be blind. That's how it worked for that people. They're an earthly people. They're earthly promises like nobody else ever had. So look at Matthew 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their people who were evidence that they were sinning against him. And he healed their sick. They deserve to be sick. Their sickness is a result of their disobedience and their rebellion. They're at enmity with God. But their suffering and their sorrow so moved upon his heart that he set aside the enmity and healed them. Not because they deserved it. They didn't deserve it. It's just who he was. It's just who he was. I preach in rescue missions, and I enjoy it. I could never operate a rescue mission. I don't have enough compassion. I preach in the jails, and I enjoy it. I couldn't have a full-time, I couldn't be a chaplain in a jail. I don't have enough compassion. We support people who have homes that take in drug addicts and drunkards, and, and, and I thank God for them. I want to support them. I couldn't be one. I don't have enough compassion. Look what you did to your life. You think I'm going to waste my time and money on you after you did that? You know where I'd be? If the day I finally turned to the Lord and asked for salvation, and he said, you think I'm going to help you after that? 
after you did that, after all the times I got you out of the messes you were in and you, you didn't get saved and now you want me to save you because you're afraid of going to hell? Are you kidding? I thank God for compass, com- compassion, compassion. I had, I had surely provoked him to anger. I had surely deserved his wrath for all eternity. But he set that aside because in his heart, now look, this is going to sound so wimpy. I'm sorry, guys. It is. You know what? He just felt sorry for me. God just felt sorry for me. That's what compassion is. He felt sorrow. Guys, I don't want to give up one word of the King James Bible. I don't want to give up one word of sound doctrine. I don't want to, I don't want to compromise. I don't want to, I don't want to hold hands with this carnal crowd. I don't want to do it. But God help me to learn to feel sorry for people that are ruining their lives. Feel sorry for people who are tearing up their homes. Not just be all wrath and all judgment and all correction and all walk the narrow road. God help me to be pained in my heart over what they're doing to themselves the way Christ was for sinners in his day. It wouldn't hurt us, guys. It wouldn't hurt us, ladies, gentlemen. It wouldn't hurt us. Matthew 20, verse 34 Some blind men crying out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. <laughs> look, look at verse 30. Verse 30. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when heard Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, so they should hold their peace. Uh, they're probably tired of hearing it. You pass a blind man begging once, it has an effect on you. You pass him every day on your way to work, not so much. So, would you stop with that already? We're so tired of you calling out for help and mercy. And just, just Come on, we're, we're doing something religious here. This is the Messiah. Hold your peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do to you? They said unto him, Lord, that our souls might be saved and we might live holy families and, and have clean lives and be good witnesses for you and tithe and give to missions. No, their request's entirely selfish, as mine would be if I was blind. <laughs> Lord, that our eyes may be open. Well, that's kind of selfish. I mean, that's a pretty carnal thing to ask for. <laughs> yeah, you want to read your prayer list in front of everybody? <laughs> if I get something that says urgent prayer request, it's physical. Amen. Earnest prayer, re- urgent prayer request. I blew my temper again today. I never get one of those. Urgent prayer request. I'm so lazy. I never get one of those. Urgent prayer request. My neck hurts. Right? Come on. You know that's true. Lord, that our eyes may be open. So, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes 
And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. You know why they're blind? Because Israel's disobedient. You know why they got their sight? Because Jesus has compassion. I could hold this against you. I don't want to. I could throw you in hell right now. I'm not willing that any should perish. That we might receive our sight. That's kind of a selfish request, isn't it? Jesus said, well, okay, I can do that. And they had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. What a Lord. What a Savior. How far short of his glory we come even when we're not sinning. Mark 1.40, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will, I will be thou clean. <laughs> Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. So many of these we could read. Verse 18, when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. This fellow's possessed. He lives in the tombs, cuts himself, cuts himself, fascinated with dead things and death, can't get along with his family. They can't control him. He doesn't need a psychiatrist. He's got a devil. He doesn't need meds. He's possessed. So, well, don't you think? No, I, I just want to know, you say you're a Christian. Why is Jesus the last resort? Why do you go to Jesus after all the junk the world's come up with didn't help? Why don't you go to Jesus first? Why don't you try him first? Anyway, anyway, this, this guy, he's possessed with the devil. So we had a, a blind man, we had a leper, now a man possessed with the devil. And Jesus threw all the devils out of him, put them in the pigs, over the, over the cliff they went. You know the story. Verse 19, 18, when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. This is, this is tough, guys. Ladies, gentlemen, this, this is tough. You know what this guy's doing? He's running around naked. Jesus had compassion on him. Bless God, you're... I'm not a compromiser. I'm not a compromiser. We got dress code in our church. <laughs> I'm not a compromiser. We had a work day, uh, and uh, I, I, when, I'm, when I'm preaching, I like to at least dress like a, the guy announcing the football game. If the guy reading the fake news can wear a coat and tie because he thinks it's important, I can wear a coat and tie to preach the Bible. Anyway, I'm having a work day at the church, and I got on, I got on a pair of jeans and a T-shirt, and this little boy said, Mom, Brother James has arms. <laughs> <laughs> He'd never seen them before. I'm not a compromiser. But you know, you get out there in the world, you see people running around naked. I, I'm, I, my conclusion is most of them full of the devil. 
But how come I stop there? Where's my compassion? This man's cutting himself. I see somebody, people doing that now. They're cutting themselves. I said, well, they're crazy, man. They're full of the devil. Well, that's that's pretty easy observation. But where's my compassion? Jesus saw this man under the influence of evil spirits. And he said, go tell your friends. Go tell your family that I set aside the enmity because I felt sorry for you. And the sorrow in my heart for your suffering moved me to help you. Now, if I'm the only person here tonight that's guilty as can be, then I'll just say it in front of you and I'll be the only one. I need this. And the worse this world gets, the more I need it. And the worse our churches get, the more I need it. And and the more messed up people I'm dealing with, the more I need this. Romans chapter 5. One more stop tonight. Romans chapter 5. Compassion is a mixture of love and sorrow. It's a strong emotion resulting from the suffering of another. It's the heart's sympathy and even pain over the distress and misfortunes of another. And we saw that God throughout the Old Testament had compassion on a very disobedient people. And Jesus in the New Testament had compassion on evidently very disobedient people. Compassion is when the extreme, listen now, when the extreme distress of an enemy causes the enmity to be set aside because of of an affection that arises in the heart. Romans chapter 5, verse number 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Think about that. Why is the cross necessary? Because we are God's enemies. Why did the cross happen? Because God had compassion. Had we been God's enemies and God had no compassion, we would be in hell where we deserve to be. But when we were enemies, God said, What can I do to fix this? What can I do to rescue them? How can I save them? Christ reached out his arms like this to pay for your sin and then reached them out like this to invite you to come and then in compassion put his arms around you and said, now I'll never let you go. And I want to get to the place 
where I don't just see what the world deserves, but where I don't want it to happen to them. Where the destiny of the sinner, the addict, the devil-possessed, the diseased, the reprobate is well understood. But the remedy moves my heart to do something for them. I'm saved tonight because of God's compassion. A compassionate Christ dwells within me. When I studied the topic, I really, really, really get convicted because I know what's wrong. I can see what's wrong. I can name what's wrong. I can preach against what's wrong. I can warn about the consequences of what's wrong. Where's the sorrow? Where's the sympathy? Where's the, what can I do to help? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm, I, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm starting. Don't, don't pack, but I'm, I'm starting to pack here. I'd like to have 1,000 people in our church, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. I don't want to compromise the Word of God to do it. But I don't want to make excuses either. I think, I, I think, this is my opinion. I think most of the people out there begging with a sign, their drugs put them there, their alcohol put them there, their sin put them there. I don't know how anybody in America is hungry when you get free food. I honestly, I don't understand it, and I can preach against it. I can write articles against it. I can, I can find out. But you know what? Churches are growing. The ones that feed people. Well, that's compromise. Why is it compromise to feed somebody that's hungry? It's not compromise. We go in the jails and we win with Christ and they get out of jail and the charismatics give them a house to live in. Where do you think they're going to go to church? I'm not, I'm not asking tonight that we redo anything or we work anything or that you know, we get into some discussion about what we should do for outreach and shouldn't do for outreach. I, I'm just telling you, Jesus didn't just preach. And the New Testament church didn't just preach. They really cared about people who hadn't earned it. And God's really cared about me, and I still haven't earned it. And may the Lord help me, may the Lord help you, to see that the God of the Old Testament and the Christ of the New Testament is not all facts and doctrine and sermons and giving people what they deserve and what they've earned. A lot of it's just good old compassion. And I could use more of it, and maybe you could too. Heavenly Father,